G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is our review of week one of the 2022 finals series. What an absolute classic few days of finals football. Is it the best weekend of finals action we've ever seen? Well, few people are claiming that. I certainly have it right up there. Uh, as I say, a very good evening. We are recording this on to my Footyology <laughs> podcast co-host, Mr. Robert Shaw. Pretty hard not to be up, Shorey, because we have just witnessed four epic finals matches. Well, you're quite right, Ron. Then one stage uh, this evening, we are recording this this evening, late, that um, uh, we look like we would have got three out of four when the Bulldogs uh, snuck away to a 41-point lead. So, you know, uh, we would have counted our blessings and say we saw three great finals and and we were sort of expecting a downer, but uh, things turned out different. But um, uh, uh, this is not Harry Hindsight, but remarkably the uh, the intensity, the pace, the, uh, the closeness of the scores and the standard... Um, Came after a bye. I'll leave you with that thought. Oh, okay. All right. Well, my my argument about the bye really won't be borne out until we see what happens to the winners of the two qualifying finals. And if they happen to be, if uh, the losers of the preliminary finals happen to be Sydney and Geelong, I'll get back to you because that will just strengthen my argument. So um, <laughs> my argument, I'll, I'll stick with my argument. They had four uh, really fresh teams, well prepared, ready to go. Plenty of time to think about it. Injuries, injuries sorted out. And you're right. Like we've got uh, Sydney in one half of the draw, and the Cats in the other, haven't we? So no, no. I think. Look, I think it's a very. I mean, if you, if I, I would be prepared to concede there is an upside with having a buy, and I think you're right. I think we've probably just seen it. We've seen you know eight teams going hammer and tongs, and uh, certainly with the benefit. Of a week under their break, uh, under their a week's rest under their belt. So, um, you know, terrific games. Now, just quickly for those saying it is the best weekend of finals. Oh ever. yeah, tell us about this one. Oh well, I mean, people, it's not all that long ago, nineteen ninety four, which in fact was the first year of the final eight, a different version of the final eight, uh, albeit. But um, that for me is just a little bit more special. And those for those who don't remember it, we had. The first extra time final ever played, North Melbourne and Hawthorne had a draw out at Waverley, played extra time, North won in extra time. Um, I remember this because I was out of that game and then I had to hot-foot it across town to get to the MCG for the night game, which was Geelong and Footscray. That was an absolute epic and Billy Brown was famously kicked a goal after the siren one or two after the Siren finals wins Geelong had that year, and that beat Footscray. On the Sunday, Melbourne, who was seventh, upset Carlton, who was second on the ladder, coming from behind to do so. And then uh, later on the Sunday afternoon in Perth, West Coast, who were unbackable favourites after finishing on top, almost went under to eighth-placed Collingwood, uh, hanging on in that game by just two points. Of course, Mickey McGuan. Uh, famously dropping uh, a mark in the last couple of seconds and the Pies might have won. So I had that one marginally in front of this, but I'm splitting hairs because it was just an incredible um, three nights and afternoons, if you want to keep splitting hairs, of terrific finals action. We are going to go through all four finals and analyse them to within an inch of their tiny lives, and we're going to do that right now on footyology wrap around 
Finals action 2022 kicked off on Thursday evening at the Gabba with the second elimination final played between Brisbane and Richmond. And wow, just still coming down after this amazing high. What a game of football. 17 lead changes, uh, which, uh, Robert, you were saying is the most by some margin, by five lead changes, 12 the previous best in the last 20 years. So that gives you some idea how good a game this was. In the end, Brisbane prevailing by just two points, 16 goals, 10, 106, defeating the Tigers, 16, 8, 104. First time both sides in a final have topped 100 points since Adelaide defeated the Western Bulldogs in 2015 in elimination final. So there's another one. For you, the goal kickers for the victors, three to Cameron, three to Danaher, three to Hipwood, singles, the rest, uh, quite a few goal kickers in this game, 10 individual goal kickers saw the Lions. For Richmond, three to Lynch, three to Rewalt, two to Bolton, and singles, the rest. They also had uh, 11 individual goal kickers, uh, two major injuries, one for either side, which had a big impact on the game. Oscar McInerney uh, concussed very early in the piece, only about three minutes in, and that meant the Lions had to switch things around and ruck Dan McStay and Joe Danaher all night. And for Richmond, uh, they lost Dion Prestia, who injured a hammy late in the second term, and that was a costly loss for them. Well, neck and neck, uh, we had controversy with the Tom Lynch score review. It's been done to death, but we will have to talk about it. Joe Danaher, pretty dirty night for Joe, but he did manage to bob up and kick what transpired to be the winning goal with just a minute left on the clock. The Lions able to soak up those final 60 seconds. And finally, after having uh, won just one of six finals over the previous three seasons, they broke the ice in a close one and they are through to a semi-final next week. What a game, Rob. What uh, what should we talk about first with this? Oh, well, exactly, Rowan. Where do you start with the game that had so many highlights, you know, from the fact that, I, you know, often I, I see players 42, 43, and, and Lockie Neal is a Brownlow medalist, but sometimes, and we see it with our own club with Merritt 43 and Parrish 43, and you say, yeah, but, well, I thought, from the games that I've seen Lockie Neal play, this was his best ever game. I've never seen a bloke that was so clean, under pressure, with his hands. And it was mentioned in the commentary by Luke Hodge that he has never seen a player practice below his knees more than Neal. He was unbelievably outstanding. It certainly does raise the question of the value of the tagger or the run-with player, given the fact that Dev Robertson did a pretty good job on Prestia till Prestia got going, and then in the second half, he stopped Cochin and held Cochin to half a dozen. You know, I know Ross went to Neil at some stages, but that was probably the best midfielder display I've seen this year. Well, that's a, that's a big call. Uh, certainly a fantastic game. It's not just the 39 disposals, so it's the 15 clearances as well. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's under we, pressure, Ron. Yeah. yeah. And and I think right up there with the best we might have seen in the final, I've got a feeling it might be 16, but uh, or maybe that's all games. Anyway, it's a mammoth amount, uh, both disposals and stoppage wins in a final, and you're quite right. He's... Um, the quality of his disposal, I think, is perhaps the thing that's improved the most with him from uh, his earlier career at Fremantle. Well, not that he wasn't a super player even there, but um, definitely the decisive factor in this game. Um, Charlie Cameron and Eric Hipwood, pretty important, both of those players, um, particularly important, Hipwood, with Danaher playing uh, not well up forward and having to spend a lot of time in the ruck. Hipwood really had to fire, and fire he did. So that was a welcome um, three-goal performance from him. Hugh McLuggage, Zach Bailey, both excellent players uh, on on the uh, ball midfield. The other key role, I thought, for the Lions was Brandon Starsevich on Shea Bolton, who 
only ended up with uh, 10 disposals. Did kick two goals, but one of his quietest games of the season. Um, the other uh, interesting stat too, which uh, a bit of a tribute to Brisbane's midfield group here, Richmond absolutely smashed them for hitouts, 55-16, but Brisbane actually ended up winning the stoppages 46-40. to So their capacity to rove to the Richmond uh, ruck worker, Toby Nankervis, excellent. Well, there you had the example of Neil. Uh, Nankervis himself was well and truly, and this is an issue, in, in a tight game. Nankervis himself was the leading clearance player. He had nine clearances for Richmond, plus his own personal 41 hitouts, and they just didn't get enough. I, I, I know the, the Martin thing will be discussed, but they had to play him. But despite the fact that uh, Bolton was all, was really well held by Starsevic, you just said, he only got two clearances and Martin got one clearance. So in such a tight game, that's why I'm saying Neil's game, I can't speak highly enough of it, uh, particularly ground-level clearances. Uh, you mentioned Starsevic. Some Richmond players that I, I loved, uh, Marlon, Marlon Pickett, Yep. I thought he played a sensational game on the wing. Uh, he was consistent all night. Uh, Vlosten, Vlostone, he was outstanding across half-back. He kept the, uh, turning the tide time and time again. And talk about pressure uh, in a final. Um, those two goals by Jack Rewald, and they, uh, they I can't recall, I didn't write them down the notes, but I'm assuming they they both put Richmond back in front each time. That they, they were just wonderful exhibitions of goal kicking under pressure. There were some uh, huge clutch moments in this game. The yeah. one we need to talk about is the controversial one, Tom Lynch's shot. Shouldn't have missed the goal. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, he shouldn't have missed that. He was about seven, eight metres out. From that range, no matter the severity of the angle, you should be kicking him. Um, I look, I tweeted this. People are still going on in my um, mentions about this, and it's it's a couple of days old now. But that's what umpiring decisions do. Look, I just felt, I felt uh, it was probably the right decision was made, but via the wrong mechanism. And by that, I mean, I'm pretty confident it was a point. It did look like vaguely like a point. Lynch's reaction certainly suggested a point, but I thought they were way too quick to rule it. They they should have had a couple of looks at that footage. And I don't this is a bottom line. The the soft call, right or wrong, and I suspect it was wrong, was a goal. The the footage needs to be conclusive to overturn. I don't think that footage was conclusive enough to overturn it. What did you think? No, conclusive is the key word here. Well, was and it or not, in your view? No. Well, okay. do I, do I, or we, or our listeners, wrong, get the same footage that comes up on the screen? Well, my understanding is, is yes, we do. There was, there was a. See, they need. I couldn't uh, tell. We it's need inconclusive to me. We need more transparency on this. The fact that. Ten years after these bloody things came in, we're still talking about. Do we see what they see? I am told. I stand to be corrected, but my understanding as we record this is that the guys in the arc are seeing the same footage no. we're seeing. It's now, inconclusive. If if, yeah, well, I, I didn't think it was conclusive enough to overturn. And and the other thing, Brown, this absolute stupidity um, comment by a professional journalism, oh, and, and we know Lynch didn't celebrate. So maybe there is method in the madness. But to say, oh, they always check the player's reaction first. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, actually, yeah. I've, I've got, I did actually talk to Tom Brown at the footy on Friday night <laughs> and asked him, and he said he swears, and I'm prepared to believe him. Okay. He swears that that's what he was told, whether the person who told him that is having a okay. win. Okay, we've spent too long on it. Keep yeah. going on the game. All right. So <laughs> uh, Brisbane, uh, I, I guess, finally come out on the right end in a close final. I'll tell you what, I couldn't help thinking this. Thank God they did for their sake because I reckon losing another close final, going out straight away and being 1-6 in finals over four seasons might have just about broken them. Uh, they live to fight again. It's going to be tough for them, though, given they're playing Melbourne, who has absolutely spanked them twice. 
congratulations to them because Richmond didn't go away. That's quite obvious by the scorecard. Richmond were good, uh, as you alluded to. Both lost absolute key players, particularly the Ruckman, and uh, then Prestia later on. I'd like to really congratulate Brisbane on winning this game because uh, history tells us that once Richmond kept coming back and coming back, the mental demons would have jumped on the shoulders. They were able to absorb the pressure of Richmond and they kept playing that really quick transfer game that they do. I thought it was a great effort by them. Yeah, it was important. And let's see if that, I mean, no doubt it will give them a bit of confidence. Let's see if it changes the mindset enough for them to be able to certainly push Melbourne a lot closer than they have in those two previous meetings this year because they've been whipped both times. All right, what a way to start the final series. It was an epic game of finals footy. But as they say in those uh, those old Demtel ads, but wait because there was more. Friday evening, finals football returned to Melbourne for the first time in just under three years. Can you believe that? And gee, wasn't it great to have it back? It was the second qualifying final. It was played, appropriately perhaps, between the capital cities, Melbourne and Sydney. And it was a sensational 22-point win to the Swans, an upset, not a major upset, though, because we know how good a side they are. And uh, they won this. After conceding Melbourne a start, it was the Swans uh, pushing through the second half and coming out on top with a 22-point win. The final score, Sydney, 14 goals, 7, 91, defeating the Demons, 10, 9, 61. The goals, 2 to Hayward two to Lloyd, two to Papley, two to Reed, singles, the rest, and uh, 10 individual goal kickers for the Swans. And that is a significant stat because pretty symptomatic of just how even a performance this was for the Demons. Three to Fritch, two to Oliver, singles, the rest. Now, Robert, I'm just going to ask you this in throwing to you, um, and I did put this to John Longmire. I thought this win was an absolute tribute to the evenness across the board of a Sydney side. When you consider Buddy Franklin held goalless by Stephen May, who had to be best on ground, I think. Isaac Heaney kept very quiet, one goal, and that one goal coming late. The Chad, Chad Warner held to, I think it was just 13 disposals. Those three players, all really minimal parts of the performance, but Plenty more where they came from. Luke Parker is good every week. Jake Lloyd, terrific. My boy, another of my boys, James Rowbottom, sensational. Callum Mills, sensational. Tom Papley, terrific up forward. And another unsung hero, Robert, in defence, Robbie Fox. They had contributors all over the place, the Swans. Gee, this was a great win by them. How did you see it? Oh, well, I was concerned what John Longmire, Longmire would have said to you about your shirt, Rowan that went viral on um, oh, Twitter. Yeah, I know yeah. I want to seriously <laughs> analyse this game, but uh, you've taken a magnificent... What did Horse say to you when you asked your question about your shirt? Oh, I thought he was very impressed with it. It was a, uh, yes, it's a, a Paisley number, a blue and white Paisley number. Um, my line was I was off to an audition for the Hoodoo Gurus after the, <laughs> ge- after the game. Uh, I don't know why these things go viral, but uh, it certainly seemed to be a talking point after the game. Anyway... We digress. What did you think of the game? Um, There's some really interesting stuff. Uh, Sydney, early on, oh, look, I'll go to the quote by Longmire because you were there. They were clearly dominate, dominant in the air and there were a few things we were talking about during the course of the game. Well, we saw the dominance of Stephen May. But I will say this, Lance Franklin made him earn everything. It was a brilliant display from a key, but... They were into it. That was a sensational duel based on the fact that uh, they were really aggressive at each other. But Lance kept tackling, he kept fighting, and and it just created the odd opportunities for um, the smaller blokes at ground level like Papley. Well, let's talk that because I, I think you've just hit on that. The, the Franklin May niggle. That was a pivotal moment in this game because Melbourne was really getting on top, but he couldn't get a touch. So he thought, I I have to impose myself on this game. And he just niggled and niggled away until May 
pushed him over, gave away a relayed free kick. That led to a goal for Haywood. And that was the first of four straight goals the Swans kicked right back into the game. You know what it reminded me of? And, uh, okay, the example is Essendon, sorry. But it reminded me of 1989, uh, Hawthorne-Essendon out at Waverley, second semi-final, when Dermot Burton changed the course of that game by um, shirt-fronting Paul Vanderhaar. Uh, and mind you, he would have got about 10 weeks of that these days. But he changed the course of that game with pure physicality. And I thought that's exactly what Buddy Franklin did. And it got him back into the contest. That's right. And to finish that quote, Stephen May is a brilliant player. And I thought once we got it to the ground, this is the key. This brought Papley into the game. Mm. Once they got it to ground, and it was nearly deliberate, Rowan. They didn't mm. kick it along the ground, but they would be delighted. It just brought those players in. Some highlights for you. You've raised this quite, and I want to get your reaction to this. Uh, the combination, you've spoken about him, Brown, Jackson and Pickett, their output was negligible from 56 inside 50s. I thought Jackson and Pickett were exceptionally disappointing. Brown took the odd mark, but there's a real failure of their three key forwards. No question about that. And uh, one of the questions uh, Simon Goodwin was asked, and in fact, he was asked it twice, Ronnie Werner, Footyology's own Ronnie Werner asked him early in the piece, and then I thought, well, we need to uh, have this question asked in comprehensible English. So I decided to no, – <laughs> that, that's a cheap shot. No, I actually – I forgot he'd asked it, so I asked it again gratuitously. But I think Tom McDonald has to come into this side now. How did he answer it, Rowan? Uh, he was pretty noncommittal about it. It seems like – yeah, I don't know if they're convinced that Tom McDonald's going to be up to it, to be honest, but – they might have to roll a dice because uh, they just can't have as dysfunctional a forward set up a- again. And that, and don't forget that was with Fritch playing pretty well for them. So Fritch Fritch ramp Fritch beat Rampy, which is a good one. But see, gee, I'm glad you mentioned him because he's probably the twenty third mentioned, but probably in the t- top six of important players. Robbie Fox, number forty two, absolutely blanketed Pickett. It was yep. a brilliant performance, but he's a he's a typical Sydney player that he does his role and doesn't look for any sort of accolades. Yep, and and in a similar vein, and I mentioned him before, but you know how much I love Warner, you know how much I love McInerney, but this guy, Rowbottom, he's been around just that season or so longer. Jeez, he's a good player for them, and he doesn't get the same sort of kudos because he's not as flashy. He's more a grunt grunt sort of player, but you can tell Horse loves him the way he spoke about him, and he was huge for him. and, And you're right. Uh, you know, I've talked about this for years and particularly about um, our own clubs non-committal to playing run with players. Oh, we don't do that. We're a system team or uh, that's not our... Well, you want to have a look at it because I'll tell you what, um, if it's good enough for Sydney and and Longmore, it's bloody good enough for us. Now, Ryan Clark did a terrific job again on Salem so that was a run with roll. Minimised Salem kicking the ball. Rowbottom at times was on Oliver. Mills was on Oliver. And, of course, your man McInerney was out on the wing on the very, very important Langdon. Yeah. So there's three examples where he specifically, and I reckon Viney oh, nah, and Parker went head-to-head, but there's three specific tactical moves with a player on player. And then you can add for me Fox on picket. So don't tell me the run with player or the allocated player is going out of the game. Yeah, no, good point. The other, um, I, I think, key for Melbourne is that whilst Petrarca had plenty of touches and he had 24, but he just didn't have that same impact. Now, it was revealed no. later that he got a a uh, pretty solid knock to his leg. In fact, so solid, he actually has a hairline fracture of his leg. I wouldn't have thought you could play on with one of them, but uh, apparently... Well, that mine, Alan Richardson, on the news tonight said, no, all clear. So um, okay. he's very relaxed about it. But um, just a couple more for me. Once again, we're, we're highlighting Sydney's unsung heroes. What do you think of Dylan Stevens's game on the opposite wing? Yeah, good. Great. Fantastic goal from the boundary line. Uh, good player. Yep. Very good player. Like, it had everything. It had the Franklin May matchup. Uh, and, and Melbourne tried to get Melchstrom to Paddy McCartan, 
and Melbourne would kick it high early, remember, and they got mm. good reward out of it because they didn't want Paddy and they and Melchon tried to isolate him. Tactically, this was a very good game to watch, Rowan. I think, yeah, it was, two uh, contrasting styles, I guess. The other uh, big plus for Sydney, and he, he really has been a, a good contributor for him over the back half of the season, particularly, I reckon, is Sam Reid. And if Franklin isn't kicking goals for them, you know, once upon a time, Logan McDonald was, you know, pretty invisible, really. You'd look at that and you think, well, you know, who's their key forward presence? Well, Reid provided it, and there was that uh, – he kicked, uh, what, a brace of goals, two goals back-to-back at a pretty important stage. And then Hickey, they're very resilient, the Swans. And I thought that was shown a couple of times, wasn't it? It was shown by Franklin fighting back against May. But it was also shown by Tom Hickey, who conceded a free and a goal to Max Gorn, straight away responded by getting down the other end of the ground, getting free and marking and kicking a goal himself. So... Um, they've just got everything balanced, the Swans. They've got a good mix of kids and older heads. They've got a good mix of tough in-and-under types and free-running types. They defend well. They attack well. I reckon they've got all bases covered. And, uh, well, you know, they're in a preliminary final. They're two wins away from a premiership. They are a massive, massive chance. As we said at the start of the year, and may I apologise, we haven't given enough mentions in this. We've tried, you know, these finals are hard to analyse. There's so many great stories. Tom Hickey's a great story. Yeah. He, he had to take on, with a little bit of help from Reed, who, who himself was quite handy, but to take on Jackson and then to take on Gorn. Gorn was good, but um, he's not going to beat May for best on ground, but I reckon he's on the podium. I thought Tom Hickey was a sensational player and one of the best players on the ground. Yep. One more stat I just wanted to rattle off too because I thought this was fairly significant. Tackles inside 50. Oh, gee. 13 to Melbourne, 25 to Sydney. That, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a pretty decent old uh, figure, isn't it? 25? Mate, that's extraordinary. 14 in the last quarter. Mm. And you and I, you and I, and and apologies for going backwards and forwards, folks, but it's a great example of where a team can improve. We've actually analysed games of a club very close to us, Rowan, where they've had one or yep. two yep. or yep. three for the whole game. We're talking in a final, 14 in a quarter and 25 tackles. Yeah. They were relentless. So get your act together, some of you other teams. Yep. Uh, great win by the Swans. Uh, Melbourne now needing to bounce back. And uh, as we told you at the top of the program, they will be playing. In fact, did we tell you? We should have told you. They oh, no. Be... Go through them, Rowan. Yes. Well, the two semifinals next week, of course, the second semifinal at the MCG on Friday evening, and that is between Melbourne and Brisbane, 7.50 p.m., uh, loser all over, winner will play Geelong in a preliminary final. The first semi final on Saturday evening, uh, the 10th, uh, 7.25 p.m. game time. That is between Collingwood and Fremantle and the loser out and the winner to play Sydney at the SCG. The Swans' first preliminary final at the SCG since uh, that night. Uh, I don't want to recall it, but I have to. <laughs> I was there and I had to cover it. It was, of course, Tony Lockett's point after the siren back in 1996. All right. That was Friday night at the MCG. We had yet another epic final at the MCG on Saturday. Let's have a chat about that one. The first qualifying final of 2022 played Saturday Twilight, 4.35 was the bounce down. It was a game between Geelong and Collingwood and surprise, surprise, another epic game of footy and biggest surprise, a close game that Collingwood actually didn't win. Geelong emerging victorious by six points, 11 goals, 12, 78, defeating the Pies, 10, 12, 72, the goal kickers for the Cats, three to Cameron, three to Rowan, two to Close, singles the rest, including the match winner from my boy, Maxie Holmes, and Collingwood, two to Dugowie, two to Johnson, and singles 
the rest. What a game this was, Robert. Collingwood uh, in the ascent early. Uh, Geelong hitting back hard in that second quarter uh, with three goals. Collingwood kept goalless until after the siren. Important goal by Will Hoskin Elliott that saw them regain the lead. Uh, four goals to three in a terrific third quarter. And then Geelong just creeping over the line with a bit of extra experience, bit of extra steadiness and some huge moments. Uh, we'll talk about all that. But uh, first, let's give us your initial impressions of this game because it was another classic game of hard, tough, but thrilling finals football. Yeah, it was. There's no doubt about that. Uh, like Maynard starting in the centre square, Collingwood wanted to make a statement. Blixarves was uh, on uh, Penderbury. Penderbury, mate, 34 possessions, just nearly willed them over the ground. What a wonderful player he is. They couldn't go with him. He did a terrific job for them. But I think you've summed it up. If you say you've got two sentences to sum it up, composure, experience, steadiness. Like Collingwood hammered away inside 50. There was about five intercept marks. Well, I don't think they were intercept marks by the Geelong back line. They were misdirected kicks, nervous kicks, lack composure, and then Collingwood, uh, then Geelong would go up the other end and really precise, really clean and really confident. I, I think this was a tick to um, uh, an experienced side. Selwood had vital touches. Dangerfield had been quiet, had their experienced players just had steadier possession, I reckon. And But Collingwood had, you know, they had brilliance. They had the Dacos boys. They had Dugowie look like he was going to snatch the game out of the hands of Geelong at any stage. Uh, the Howe, um, Moore and Murphy combination, what a battle that was with Hawkins and Cameron. So... Um, it was just a fantastic game, and you and you had um, Cameron's goal, left foot on the boundary, followed by Johnson's goal. Right it was, it, was, it was the other way around. It was Johnson yeah. and Cameron. Yeah, yeah, they were outdoing each other, and and you're right. And and there were you know half a dozen players who could have ended up the hero of the hour. Most of that last quarter, you thought that person was going to be. Dugowie. In fact, I thought Dugowie was probably just about best on ground. He he was so damaging with the footy, 26 disposals and those two uh, critical goals in the last quarter. In fact, Collingwood's only goals in the last quarter. I thought Selwood, uh, again, for about the hundredth time, just had an epic last quarter when they most needed it. The other guy deserves a shout-out for his last quarter, Tom Atkins. He had 12 disposals and I'm pretty sure four clearances in that last quarter. He was massive for the Cats when it mattered. I thought Tom Stewart, terrific in defence all day for them, as you expect from him these days. Uh, Duncan had some important moments both defensively. Well, that was and, a good move, Rowan. Sorry to interrupt. He was, yeah, did start yeah. on the back line yeah. and then moved, moved into the midfield forward later on in the game. That was a very good move, very telling. It was and did kick a goal for them. Uh, Jeremy Cameron, of course, as you said, uh, he is one of the best uh, kicks of a footy I've mm. seen in a key forward. Just a beautiful, smooth graceful kick of the footy. Well, I think Buddy Franklin, I think uh, Cameron's at that level. And we really do have to give some kudos to Gary Rowan, perhaps the most maligned finals player in modern football history. Well, he was really important. Three goals and that clutch moment um, in which the Cats uh, took a, what was it, uh, six-point lead with his big high mark and goal from about 55 metres out. Um, of course, the Pies uh, still coming back and uh, levelling the scores. In fact, that put Geelong one point up, sorry, uh, a point to Jack Crisp, levelled the scores, and then that uh, almost the final attack for the Cats. In fact, Gary Rohan dropped a bit of a sitter, but still managed to recover enough to get the ball over to my boy, Maxi Holmes, who ran in and kicked the winning goal, Cats, through the preliminary final. I'll tell you, you know, the, I think a lot of people, and I wrote this in my piece for ESPN, I think a lot of people will say, might try to make the narrative, oh, Collingwood's luck finally ran out when they most needed it. Well, I think today was proof 
that they haven't been running on luck. They are a seriously good side and a seriously gritty, gutsy team. And uh, they are, you know, any Magpie fans despairing, you are still very much players in this finals race. Um, Hence the conversation directed at us by, um, and you were there, Ron? No, you were the, uh, uh, by um, McRae. Well, he wasn't directing it at us, was he? Wasn't he directing it at the yeah, Collingwood players? Yeah, he was. We're, we're looking. He's directing it at the football public. I thought oh. he was saying to the Collingwood players that they shouldn't have been down on the ground after the loss. What are you no, talking I, about? I'm talking about the press conference when he told us what he said to them. Oh, yeah, okay. That's what yeah. I meant. Yeah, all right. Right? So he's telling us um, he didn't like the look of them laying down yeah. and looking like losers. You've got nothing to be ashamed of. He's absolutely correct. Now, we'll we'll preview this during the week, Ron, but um, they're going to go deep into the finals. Mm. They are going to go deep into the finals, Collingwood, and um, uh, and but and Geelong got it done, didn't they? They got it done, and um, they weren't. Did they play well? They were consistent over the night. They were cleaner. Uh, Moore did a great job on Hawkins. Uh, Cameron was good. Uh, Murphy on uh, Henry did a good job. Um, but at some stages, he had Rowan and that big mark from Rowan. They just separated. They just got Murphy caught behind and he just couldn't get that third man up to help with the spoil. I, th- I think what will be crucial uh, in getting this result is, I mean, there, there were just there's so many dangers if they hadn't have won this game. One would have been, of course, you know, oh. lose, losing the double chance and it becoming sudden death. But once again, as happened to them in 2019 when they were upset by Collingwood in the same game, they got cast onto the wrong side of the draw and had to play Richmond in a preliminary final after winning the semi. Now, had that happened this time, it would have seen them, had they won the semi, cast against Sydney in the preliminary final. Now, Sydney handled them with some ease at the SCG in in that round two game. I know it was a long time ago, but the the Cats had to win this one, I reckon. And uh, now, well... We've said they're better set up for a tilt at the flag this year than any of those previous years since they did last win it. That, they are. That is now even underscored because, of course, they're in a preliminary final and two wins away from that flag. But uh, Collingwood have emerged from this with uh, a, a lot of honour and uh, they won't, unfortunately, have Taylor Adams. Now, I should ask you, could that be a decisive blow for them coming up against that Freeman? Well, they played well without him for three weeks. Um, yeah. I don't think it's a decisive blow. He was going okay, Rowan. Oh, and, and people will say, oh, they played an unfit player. Well, that was a, an extreme act. He slipped. That could have happened to anyone. I think he went into the game fit. He proved himself fit. Um he didn't. He didn't break down in the first quarter, which is generally a telltale sign. And if you look at the act, um, look, I know he's got a history of groins, but I don't think this is related. It's more related to the slip on the surface and the action that he put through his groin. So, um, would they prefer to have him in the side? My word, they have. But they didn't play him for three weeks prior to that, and um, they'll just ask probably a bit more from Dugowie to go in the middle. And uh, Geelong now uh, gets a week's break. Uh, well, again. I've Here we got... go. This will be interesting. This is your point. Yeah. Well, it happened to them uh, in 2016. They won their qualifying final, had the week off, played Sydney in the preliminary, and uh, at quarter time the score was seven goals, Sydney, zip, Geelong. I've got a, I've got a bit of a theory that the older, and it's sort of, it doesn't necessarily stack up in terms of logic because you'd think the older a side is, the more they could use a rest. But I just wonder if, if yeah. they, they need the, the routine works for the cats. Anyway, they need the ticking over run. It's a great point. Who, who will, um, who they'll front up in the preliminary? Who's on that side? Either they Melbourne. will play the winner of Melbourne and Brisbane. Well, Melbourne have got a few injuries. I still think Melbourne will win, so that's going to be – they're going to have to get through it, aren't they? Well, they are, but let's not steal yeah. our material for our review episode, which will be coming up on Wednesday, of course. So uh, a fantastic game. Um, Three great games, Rowan. Surely we can't have four. Well, I reckon we – I reckon there's a fair chance we might. Uh, let's have a chat about the final, final of the first weekend of – Finals. 
Week one of the 2022 final series concluded at Optus Stadium in Perth on Saturday evening with the first elimination final between Fremantle and Western Bulldogs. And the result was another ripper. And the successful team was the home side, Fremantle emerging victorious by 13 points, 11-7-73, defeating the Bulldogs 8-12-60. And uh, if that's all you knew about this, you'd think, okay, well, it's pretty close, but fairly regulation. Well, I'm here to tell you this was anything but regulation because Fremantle conceded the first six goals of this match. They then kicked 11 of the last 13 goals of this match to come charging right back. In fact, they kicked um, four goals in a row shortly before half time to close the gap to 15 points, then three goals to one in the third term and another four goals to one in the last, they just completely turned this game on its head after the Bulldogs were 41 points up. It was one of the great finals comebacks. Let's talk about the goal kickers for the Dockers. Three to Walters, two to Wobb, two to Joy Amos playing just his second game of AFL footy. Singles the rest for the Bulldogs. Two to skipper Marcus Bontempelli, who was just outstanding early in this game and indeed all the way through. Two to Jason Johannesson, singles the rest. Well, I don't know. Uh, I'm not much of a one for in-game punting or any punting, to be honest, Robert, but I would have been interested to see what price Fremantle were paying uh, at about halfway through the second quarter, by which time Western Bulldogs were 41 points to the good. Yeah, that's uh, too much to concede in a final. There's no doubt about that. And um, I thought it was um, not expected, Rowan, but when you watch the game, you thought one of the more experienced final side that played in the grand final last year, uh, they've been around the mark all the time, a lot of finals experience, up against uh, an extremely inexperienced side that I believe were totally overawed with the occasion mm. and took time to find their feet. Um, I'm not saying they, they had their heads in the cloud, but to me it just looked like a game we've seen where just steadiness, you spoke about Bontempelli, Cable... Uh, Caleb Daniel off half-back flank. Uh, McRae was getting the ball. Hunter on the wing was getting plenty of ball. You've got to remember Liberatore wasn't there. Um, English started well in the ruck against Darcy, but, boy, did that change later on. We'll talk about that. And and that's what I took it down to. I think they were shell-shocked. They, they looked out of their depth and they look well short of final experience. The only thing I'm critical of them is that it is a big margin. They should have nailed it earlier, seen the warning signs, probably put a bike behind the ball, tightened up a little bit because what was it, 42 points, 43 to three at one stage, Ron? The game should have been gone. Well, I reckon, uh, you know, as much as they turned it around with effort and some great individual performances, they turned it around with a bit of emotion too. And you could see that uh, Michael Walters, when he finally got that first goal on the board, they just came alive immediately and uh, it was fired in quick succession by another um, uh, shot by and, uh, Andrew Brayshaw, which just got in. And then a, a really good snap by Caleb Sarong, who was just absolutely outstanding. And then young Amos, who really looks a player, really, really important moment for him when he marked and kicked a goal after the halftime siren. And all of a sudden they go in at halftime, just 15 points down and definitely with a, uh, a sniff. But look, individual performances, gee, Sarong's a good player. I know he uh, won a rising star, but he, he just gets better and better. 33 disposals. He had 16 contested possessions. He had mm. uh, game-high 10 clearances. He helped turn that tide. Brayshaw, 32 disposals, six inside 50s. He helped turn the tide. Um, these young guys have been doing it for them consistently all season and in the absence of the likes of Nat Fife. And this has been, um, you know, it's sort of funny, isn't it? Nat Fife, obviously they want him up and playing, 
but his absence really in some ways has been the making of them and the quieter form these days of a guy like Michael Walters. Uh, Mundy, of course, always a presence. But, you know, these younger guys have had to lift and they have lifted and Sarong and Brayshaw again today were outstanding examples of that. A couple more I want to mention, particularly in the second half, young Michael Frederick. How exciting is he? He gave him a real spark, didn't he? No, he's outstanding, and, and and I'm with you. It was a combination of getting on top, like Mundy. I tell you, it was unheralded, but just really strong and tough. Will Brody, he was good in the clinches. They got on top. You mentioned Sarong, you mentioned Brayshaw. Mundy was good. Brody was good, and then Big Darcy took over. He became a really critical ruckman, getting first hands. And you balance that, you've got to think of the Fremantle back line, Rowan. We've spoken about all these exciting players, and you're quite rightly. Fredericks, they couldn't put a put a, couldn't put a glove on him and Walters, could they? But Norton kicked nothing and uh Ugal Hagen kicked nothing. And the only bloke over six foot oh well we know that Bontempelli got a couple early. Sam Darcy kicked one goal. So the capacity to hold Norton and Ugal Hagen to zero was a sensational effort led by Alex Pierce in the back line. A, uh, a key moment too, just on Michael Frederick, that chase down of Ed Richards oh, in the last geez. quarter, um, the ball turning over to Walters and his resultant goal, although he should have given it back to Frederick, to be honest, but his resultant goal um, blew, the mar- blew the margin out. It made it 11 points. Uh, the Bulldogs did kick their last goal then to Rourke Smith, but then Nathan O'Driscoll, what a beautiful kick of the footy he is. He threaded one from the boundary line, and uh, you mentioned Brody. A point to Brody just gave him that ubiquitous handy point and a 13-point edge, and uh, that was enough to get the job done. Look, the Bulldogs, wonder if um, they need to start having a look at their method under Luke Beveridge. They've won the contested ball in this game, they won the tackle count by 20. Well, I think it was 48 to 29. They won the inside 50 uh, count, but it's the Dockers who've won the game. Now, I've always thought the Bulldogs were a side which got value for their disposals and uh, certainly value out of their forward setup. They've been a high-scoring side, but they've lost that. They've lost a lot of that. They've lost a lot of that efficiency with the footy, and I just think they've lost a lot of their zip and that, to me, was sort of pretty symptomatic of their year. They'd play in fits and starts and look very capable for a while but not be able to sustain it, and um, they've paid a big price. And, look, there's no escaping this. You lose a final after being 41 points up. That is a really, really bad thing to happen. That just shouldn't You shouldn't be losing a final when you're that far up. No, and that's what I said at the start. And the interesting thing is... Um, yeah, they're a clearance team, and you're quite right. They, they've they've generally used the ball well. Their big problem, and they're right down the bottom of this. And uh, I think Fremantle are probably not the greatest side to use because they are electrifying pace, aren't they? And their ball movement, their capacity to keep the ball alive and keep it moving forward with handball and run was extraordinary. The dogs can't defend that. They can't defend that sort of stuff. So uh, they've got to look over the summer. They've got a real chance to look at um, uh, the balance of their team and, as you quite rightly pointed out, Rowan, their methodology because uh, teams have gone past them. I thought they were lucky to get in. Um, They were out of the eight for a considerable amount of time. They never got it right apart from a few cameos through the year. They hung in there and... um, Unfortunately for the Western Bulldogs and their people, uh, they probably finished where they deserve to. Yeah, got, I've definitely got some thinking to do, haven't they? I mean, what, what happens with Josh Bruce? I mean, look, you know, he's coming off a knee, so but but where's he at exactly? How much patience do they have with Eugle Hagen? Yeah, look, still very young, but well, they're yeah. looking at Lob and Jones, aren't they? So they mm-hmm. see full back and full forward a considerable problem for them, and from what you read and hear. Um, they're, they're two key targets. Final question to you on the Dockers, yep. who, of course, play Collingwood next week. How yep. how big is this in terms of giving them enough confidence to have a chance of beating Collingwood in Melbourne in a final in front of, you know, 80,000, 90,000 people? Well, I was going to ask you a question without notice. I hate doing that. Their former uh, 
uh, Etihad Stadium, Marvel Stadium, been really good. Have we got a form line? We'll do it during the week at that Melbourne Cricket Ground. Um, they're young. To get through that final and get a win, we'll, we'll hold them in good stead. Um, but they're coming up against Collingwood. Collingwood have got one injury. Um, uh, it's going to be very, very interesting because uh, I'm, I'm backing Collingwood to go deep into these finals and have I'm, a real crack, crack at Sydney. I'm trying to work out what you're – are you asking me what is Fremantle's record at the MCG? Is that what you want to know? No, I just made it a passing comment. I know that they've played some very good football at Marvel Stadium. I yeah. don't know the quality of football they've played at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. Well, that's what I thought you were asking me. I can yeah. tell you their last appearance at the MCG, they uh, had a terrific win over Melbourne by 38 points. But uh-huh. um, that is also the only time that they played at the MCG since July last year. So, Well, that's wrong, yeah. It's yeah, not, well, that's it's, why you you don't have a recollection. Yeah. So we'll uh, have to see whether this gives them the requisite confidence to at least have a serious crack at Collingwood. Either way, uh, for a game that they were looking down the barrel of instant elimination from after trailing by 41 points, an outstanding comeback and a great win for Fremantle and Justin Longmuir. And that was the sealer in a magnificent weekend of finals football for cracking games. And uh, we're glad we were able to bring them to you in fulsome detail. Uh, let's just run through that fixture for next week. The second semi final will be on Friday evening between Melbourne and Brisbane at 7.50 p.m., winner to play Geelong in one preliminary final. The first semi-final will be played on Saturday evening at the MCG between Collingwood and Fremantle. That is at 7.25, and the winner of that game will play Sydney at the SCG in another preliminary final. What a fantastic weekend of football this has been. Thanks for your company, everyone. Uh, If you want to support our podcast financially, you can do that by following the link at the ACAST supporter page, and that will be in the show description uh, of whatever platform you are listening to us on, or become a Footyology patron by clicking on the many links all over the Footyology website to Patreon, a wonderful supporter of independent writing, journalism, and publishing uh, you'll find those links, big orange boxes there with links at footyology.com.au. Get on the site and check out some pretty good writing there, stories about the Dockers, stories about this weekend's games. We've got AFLW, of course, the AFLW competition going strong, and it will continue to do that long after the men's season has finished. And we will be back to preview the second week of finals during the week. So make sure you catch us for that. Have a good week, everyone. I hope your team had a good win. Commiserations if they didn't, but uh, join in the finals fun with us here at Footyology anyway. We'll catch you later.